Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where I help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today I have an awesome guest. He's the founder of Jim's Group, which now has nearly 5,000 franchisees. He started a part-time gardening business while earning his PhD in history at La Trobe University, and he launched a full-time mowing business in 1982 with $24 investment. And in 1989, he franchised his business. And since then, Jim's Group has become the largest franchise chain in Australia and the largest and best known lawn mowing business in the world. And Jim's Cleaning was launched in 1994, followed by more than 40 other divisions, which now operate in Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. And Jim says the key to success in franchising is an overriding concern for the welfare of franchisees and constant improvement in customer service. And he's still actively involved in the running of the business. You know, every franchisee is given his direct phone number and email address and is invited to contact him at any time. And he also responds to any client with a serious complaint. He is funding a research program into epigenetics of social behavior, a continuation of his PhD work, which he believes could help in the treatment of mental illness and addictive disorders. And his books, Biohistory, Epigenetics and Character, and Every Customer a Fan are available on Amazon and from www.gyms.net. Um, and an authorized biography, Jim's book by Catherine Mollenshot was released by Wiley in March, 2019. And he helps people build successful lifestyle businesses with nearly 5,000 franchisees and counting. Welcome Jim Pemben, and thank you for being on my show. Yeah, good to be here. Awesome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome show for everyone watching and listening today. So firstly, you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Well, as I was saying before, I think it all started with Thucydides. When I was 14, a friend gave me a copy of the Peloponnesian Wars by Thucydides, and I became absolutely fascinated by ancient Greece. Also with the problem of why it changed, why it declined. And I became really interested in the decline of civilizations like the, the ancient Rome and so forth. So I went to university to try and understand the reason for that decline. So I did a, a, a BA in history and then a PhD developing a theory, which to me explained in biological terms, what happens to civilizations to do with things like food, food um, being over plentiful and so forth and urbanization. And I thought I was going to have an academic career, but it turned out that my ideas were so wildly beyond the pale. There was no way in the world that anybody was going to employ me in any academic position. So I had a part-time gardening and mowing business, which actually I started from the age of eight. I was gardening at the age of eight and done it most of my childhood and then all through my university years. And this was just a way of getting outside. Because I, I like the outdoors, I like being fit, I love gardens and so forth. So it paid pretty well too. Mowing lawns a lot more better than working in a bar, say. So that was my part-time job. And then I ended up in 1982, basically flat broke, deeply in debt, no prospect of a career, newly married, needed to support a wife who was a student at the time. So what do I do? Well, let's try this little lawn mowing part-time business and turn it into something more full-time just to pay the rent until something more promising came along. And, and I tried all kinds of things over the years. And I tried a computer shop and a mower shop and all sorts of things. I tried being an Amway, I did all kinds of different things. 
and this little mowing business just came puddling along. And gradually, I was getting a bit better at it. And and you know, I started to build up and sell lawn mowing rounds and you know, worked how to do that. I was terrible at the beginning, but I got a bit better. And then in 1988, I um, VIP came to town. This was a franchise company based in South Australia, and they had they were so impressive. They had 250 franchisees. They had they had offices, they had manuals, they had contracts, they had all this stuff, which was way beyond my understanding. I had about you know a dozen subbies. That was what I was doing. I was building up and selling lawn mowing rounds, and I was absolutely panicked. I thought these guys are going to completely obliterate me. So I actually tried to join them. That was my first thing. I, went to, I rang up and said, "Hey, I just want to join VIP and help you to grow." No thanks, we don't need that. So I I, I invaded their franchising, their show at the franchising expo in 1988. And just went into that stand and just said to the guy there, could you, I'm very interested in VIP. Could you tell me about it? Now, I'm a hopeless liar. If you've asked me why I want to know, I said, so I can compete with you guys. But fortunately, he didn't He didn't ask. So um, this guy told me all this stuff about it, gave me his brochure and all this information. I said, hey, there's some points to this. And then the, then the state manager came and he knew who I was and he kicked me off the stand. But... Um, I went away and I thought about it and I thought, well, hang on a bit. There's good reasons for VIP working. I can see how the benefits, you know, security in case of illness, those kinds of things could work, joint advertising. But I reckon I could do a system that would work better for franchisees. That was my key thought. And so I set out to devise a contract. I didn't like the VIP contract. I thought it was too one-sided. I want something that, can, that I want to sign if I was the franchisee. So I... Actually, I spent nine months arguing with lawyers. Basically, they were all trying to get me to be more. They said, you're being too nice. You're giving too much away. And I said, no, I want something that I want to join, something that you have to be mad not to join. And then mid-1989, I had my uh, contract ready. Somebody asked me at that time, you know, how do you think this might work? This is official. And I said, look, I don't know if it's going to work, but maybe one day, if I'm really successful, I could have as many as 100 franchisees. That's what I said at that time. And I started I started doing it. And it was it was just surprising. You know, I had about 60 by the end of the first year, which I thought, wow, this is amazing. But you know the, the, the big thing though, and this is what I tell everybody, there was one thing that I had. I I was so much less than my competitor. I was I had less money, I had less expertise. I was running it from my basement of my house. Um I didn't I, I really didn't know what I was doing. But I had one incredibly strong asset. My franchisees were on the whole really, really, really happy because I did everything for them. I looked after them. I rang them. I responded to their calls. I, I busted my gut to find the work. I did everything possible to make it the best system possible. And one of you, somebody had come to me and they said, look, basically, why would we buy a business from you? You know, you're running it from your basement. This guy over here, they've got all this internationally, this office, everything else. Why did buy it from you? And I said, okay, there's some differences. I'll explain how we work. But here's a list of my current franchisees with their phone numbers. And what I want you to do is to go away and ring as many as you can. Just ring them and ask them straight out, what's Jim's like? And then go and ask VIP for the same. And of course, the thing I knew is they wouldn't give them the list. They wouldn't dare to. So it wasn't me that sold it. It was my franchisees that sold it. And that was the great key. So in the bottom of my email, which you got before, you'll see a little pivot. Our first priority is the welfare of franchisees. We are also passionate about customer service. 
we sign only franchisees and franchisors, we are convinced will succeed, which actually matters because if you sign somebody who won't succeed, you still get money from it as a franchisor, but it undermines the system. If people are not doing so well, so you have to want only people are going to succeed. So I started with that and it just, and it just grew. And I made a lot of stupid mistakes along the way. So many that um, if, you, if you read every customer fan, you'll see a litany of mistakes all the way through. All the dumb things I did, all the, I just wasted money on this. And I tried to get something else going and did all these stupid mistakes. But in the end, I, I believe it's just that focus on my franchisees, first of all, and also I'd say my staff in recent years. And then also on my customers, if you just focus on them first and foremost, and have some vague attention to the bottom line. That's, that's my formula for success. You can be a complete idiot, as I am in so many ways. <laughs> my wife says I'm borderline Asperger's because I, I constantly bullet out things I shouldn't say, and I've got no sense of social tact. And there are, there are so many reasons why I should fail. I, the, the way I see it, if, if you look at someone like myself and look at this complete idiot who does so many things wrong, if I can succeed, well, surely you can. Yeah, I love that. What a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that, Jim. And and I love the part where you said, like, you wanted to create the agreement of something that you would want to do and join. I think that really sticks you out, right? Because everyone else has done it the same way. And you're like, no, I want to change the game. I want to make sure that this is something that I like to do and putting yourself in the customer's shoes, um, you know, or the, or the franchisee's shoes in, in this particular one. I think that's really, really powerful and taking so long, you know, to get that agreement done. And that's, I'm sure that's been a very pivotal moment. Uh, and I love the numbers. It's like, exactly. You, you, uh, back then, you know, there wasn't like video testimonials and things like that that you could do from clients. It's like, here's the number, go speak to them. And, and yeah, you hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, um, as they say, and, and um, get it to there. And, and what a great way to, to build the business. So yeah, hats off to you, and um, and it shows. I love the belief that if it, you know if you can do it, anyone can do it. Because I think that's uh, definitely true as well. Um, so so let's say people. Have, I've had the last yeah. training. We had about 120 people doing training. We did it every three weeks, and they asked people to put up their hand if they knew somebody who's got a franchise. And about a third of the room put up their hands. That, that's how it goes. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, very 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 powerful and. I think that the question around the franchising, right? Because some people might have a location or two, right? About what they're doing. And they're like, actually, we've got something good here. You know, can we franchise this out and, and you know, get that economies of scale? So if someone's coming to you and thinking about, you know, franchising their business, what are some of the first things they need to think about doing to make sure that, you know, they're on a path for success? Well, the first thing is look at the hourly rate. Now we have a we have a guideline in gyms which is sixty bucks an hour. If you can't see a way that an average person can make at least sixty bucks an hour, it's not worth doing. That's that's beginning because because unless you're making, you know, a typical franchisee in gyms turns over based on surveys just a bit under three thousand a week, about twenty nine hundred dollars a week. So to make that, you've got to get your hourly rate up. Um, you've got to be a um. We don't do anything except service franchises. We tried um, health clubs. It was a disaster. We don't understand that area. So we just look at divisions where people call us or, want to, or book online to get a job done for us to come out to them. That's our basic business model. So we stick to the things that we know. We've learned from hard experience not to go into things we don't understand very well. We get somebody in who actually knows that industry. I had an interesting conversation last night. I rang up one of my guys who was 15-year veteran, which I, I tend to bring people on big anniversaries. 
and he was in the funeral business, or he had been before he started. His wife still is. So I spent we spent a half an hour on the phone. I was quizzing about how the how the funeral industry works. You know, what, what's the what's the principle of success? What do you do? How do you get the prepare the body? How does it all figure out? So that kind of guy, or maybe his wife would have been a good person to launch a new division because they knew that business well. So they understand funerals. We understand franchising, service franchising. So you put those two together, it's very powerful. Because I don't know very much about things like test and tag. It's a great division. But the people who are involved in it understand that very well. But the principles of looking after customers and franchisees and the software and stuff, very, very similar. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Really, really powerful on, on what to think about initially. And um, I like to know some of the industries as well, right? Like you mentioned some of the service ones, but you obviously started in the mowing um, thing initially, which I remember from a kid as well, seeing Jim's mowing everywhere and then obviously growing uh, from there. So do you want to maybe share some of the other industries um, that you're in and sort of, yeah, how that grew over time? Well, again, it shows my remarkable lack of business foresight. Um, when we first started thinking of going beyond mowing, um, the obvious answer was cleaning. But the idea was, yeah, this is the guy here, which is what I used to look like, you know, me with a beard and a hat. This is a gardening image, if you think about it. It's not a, it's not a cleaning image. It's, it's, a, it's a male, traditional gardener. That's what I look like. I used to wear a hat because I, you know, got fair skin and I get sunburned. So... Um, and I thought, okay, cleaning is a good idea, but nobody wants to nobody wants to go into cleaning with a with a mowing image on it. So let's start this business called Sunlight S U N L I T. We had these little sprays of you know logo and stuff, and we sold a couple of franchises and couldn't find work for them. It just didn't work. So I I gave it away. I, I gave them the money back. Actually, I just said, look, it's not working. We can't work. And somebody then came to me and said, what about Jim's cleaning? And I said, no, it's not going to work because Jim's is a it's a gardening image. Anybody can say, what if it's a woman? I mean, who's going to want to wear this guy? And they said, no, we think it'll work. And I said, no, it won't. And they said, we're so sure it'll work that we'll give it a go. It's like in partnership with you. So I said, mm, all right, give it a go. I don't think it'll work, but, you know, give it a go. And it worked because people saw, they recognized the image. It didn't matter that it was a gardening image. It just stood for something else. So that was a surprise. And after that, we just started other divisions like uh, dog wash and fencing and handyman and pest control and test and tag and window cleaning and carpet cleaning and you name it, trees, IT, bookkeeping, just lots of pool care, lots of things. <laughs> they sat me down a while ago, asked me to tell all the divisions. I only got about 20 of them. It's really hard. <laughs> but the point of it is it, it's, it's, it's interesting. What's, it's a bit like Virgin, if you think about it. I mean, Virgin is a record store, and yet it's now airlines and it's colders and all kinds of things. It, it, it's, a brand becomes, it's got a life of its own which is really, really surprisingly powerful. And it just spreads. And every time somebody drives down the road with Jim's dog wash, they're actually promoting Jim's pest control and Jim's cleaning and everything else. They just, the brand builds. It builds, it builds the quality of the brand, which is really quite <laughs> surprising. But I never thought about it. As in so many times, you know, somebody came out with, with Jim's fencing. I said, that's, that's a terrible idea. And they said, oh, no, we'll, we'll do it. It's one of my first franchisees. We, I'll set up fencing. I said, well, give it a go. And that'd be a great division. Um, huge amount of work. About 60% unserviced work. Biggest problem is just finding enough people, which is the biggest problem all over. We had 220,000 unserviced leads last year. We just can't cope. We've given back over a million dollars to our franchisees in advertising. We can't spend. The, the, 
the level of interest is extraordinary beyond anything I could have imagined or expected. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, good problems to have, uh, but, you know, um, needing to, uh, yeah, capitalize on that and getting more people involved in it. And and I guess with these, this, you know, new small business owners that you're helping as franchisees, they would need, you know, a lot of training and, and growth, I guess, you know, to, to get to where they need to be um, to be part of your system. So how do you really help them? Yeah. With it, with their training and growth. Okay. First of all, they do training upfront. Um, we have a three-day generic training course. I myself um, do two sessions. Um, then they do a divisional course. They mow three days, cleaning is two, test and tags, 12. It's different depending on the division. And there's sometimes like in fencing, it's in the field too. So they get divisional training as well. But actually the business training is the most crucial thing. You know, if you're going to have a mowing person, the three days divisional training you could forget about really it's not that crucial but the three-day business training is really important that's customer service and dealing with clients properly and doing quotes correctly and this kind of stuff too so we do that then we start them off we give them leads we have a system called pay for work guarantee if you don't make a certain amount of income which can be anything from a thousand to two and a half thousand dollars a week you can go and offer free services and we'll pay you for them the, the great thing about that is if they offer free services they'll tend to get paid work and they don't need to do it for very long so we have that system, but usually there's enough work anyway. Then we have a, a mentoring system. Your franchisor is appointed. The franchisor rings them ideally weekly, especially in the beginning, at least monthly, responds to their calls, must respond within 24 hours. Most of them are very good at that. We run meetings about every six weeks, supposed to have eight meetings a year. So you have this whole process of support. It's, it's interesting the way it works, actually. When we start, we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning. One of the things we didn't understand is how to get the best support. So for example, we used to have a system whereby for a half a day a year, they had a business review, but then we examined the actual figures. There was no impact. It didn't have any success at all. And then we found that some franchise boards were actually ringing their franchises regularly. And that did work much, much better, even though it's a lot less time. And then we find people doing it weekly and that worked better still. So as we, as we go, we learn more and more. It's, it's a really strange thing. But ringing a person two or three minutes once a week actually works a lot better than spending a half day a year with them because it's the ongoing motivation. We also found with time that the biggest problem was not with technical understanding or knowledge. It was with um, it's with the, the business side, the motivation, the personal relationship, the fact that the franchisee feels comfortable with their franchise. Or they've been going for 10 years. They don't need then they don't need they don't need to be told how to prune a rose bush or, or clean an oven. But the ongoing personal support, you know, how's it going? Have you got any issues? You know, what happened with so-and-so? How was your daughter's wedding? I mean, this kind of stuff that that the personal side. And that applies to meetings too. We find meetings have a tremendous impact on, on success because people get motivated. They they hear from successful people, they build connections, they they make friends who've got similar issues. So a new franchisee comes in and they say, I've got a problem with this, it's really getting me down. And somebody who's been there five years will say, yeah, look, I had the same issue too, but I did this and this and this, and then it worked out like this. And it's encouraging. Yeah, it's, that's it's, awesome. Uh, look, the system I often quote, Ethan, is, is a very simple one. If you look up on Google and you look at the actual success of people who are in businesses like cleaning and gardening and so forth and mowing lawns, the chance of you being in business at the end of 12 months is between 5 and 10%. Now, I'd love to say buying a franchise is 100%. It's not, but it's about 88%. That's a fairly consistent average. 
So yeah. about 12% of franchises will be losing their first year, sometimes because they get offered other jobs, sometimes because they go independent. They don't all fail. Some of them do fail, though. But that, that's the difference. The failure rate of 80, uh, 90% and the failure rate of 12%. Wow. Well, that's massive stats. And yeah, I love I love that training and mentoring element there that you've got and, and the testing, right? And measuring, I think is really important that you just said there. That's anything in business, right? Not just from the that perspective of the contact, but anything that you do um, to see if it's working or not. And, and, you know, do you keep doing more or do you change um, what you do? So there's a lot of great lessons, um, you know, what you just um, shared with us there and, and how to really get the most um, out of your, your people and your franchisees and franchisees. We measure everything, Ethan. But one of the things we most measure is complaints. And over the years, as we've got better and better systems and more automation and things like surveys and following up complaints and automated, all kinds of stuff. We spend about $5 million a year on software development. But, um, and as we've got better and better, as the level of complaints have gone down, the level of leads just keep on rising. It's dramatically different. In the early days of gyms, we used to have people knocking on doors to find work. These days, hundreds of thousands of unserviced leads. It's extraordinary. The better you look after customers, the more customers come in, which there's always a tension too, because you want to look after your franchisees and it puts a lot of pressure on them at times. They get quite scared. They don't like complaints, but we have a system of monitoring. If the complaint is unfair or if they fix it, they can show it's wrong complaint or if they fix the problem and make the customer happy, then I will delete the complaint, me personally. So you've got to, you've got to push really, really hard. But we also know that franchisees um, who get the, fewest complaints tend to be get by far the, the most likely to have good income. Something over half of our franchises report um, good income. About 8% would report poor income based on the last uh, franchisee survey, but it's not evenly distributed. If you in the bottom, say, quarter of franchisees in terms of customer service, um, you're about eight times more likely to, to report poor income as if you're in the top quarter. And those who leave in the first 12 months tend to have much, much lower customer service ratings than those who persist. So even though we, even though franchisees often don't like it because we put a lot of pressure on them. And I warned them in the first survey, I talk about customer service in the first, my first training session, I said, this is going to be tough. We're a lot tougher than anybody else in the industry, but we can also help you to make great income. But you've got to understand it's, it's not going to be easy. We're going to, we're going to put a lot of pressure on you. If you get a complaint, you're not going to like it. And we're going to do everything we can to help you to get by it. But we're all about great service, great price, not cheap as chips. You've got to amaze your customers. You've got to wow your customers. At the same time, you can charge them very well if you, if you do that. Yeah, I love that. So much gold there um, with, with all of that and um, about the, yeah, the complaints and, and, and the software. Um, it shows how powerful systems can be once you invest in them, you know, over time, which is really powerful. So thank you for sharing all that. So much, um, yeah, business gold in that area there. And uh, switch it up a little bit now because I know you've got a lot of other passions and, and focus areas of what you enjoy as well and especially health and fitness I know um, you know is, is a big one for you and it's important right for our energy as well uh, in business as well as in life so firstly like what practices do you include in, in your health and fitness? Well I I do at least half an hour running a day or some very vigorous exercise mostly on a treadmill um, I also do weightlifting. I do a lot of walking. I walk even apart from that, probably at least another 5,000 paces. I have a farm that I go and physically work on. I was digging potatoes the weekend, got a bit scared off by all the steaks, potato patch, but it's great fun. 
Um, so very, very much into personal fitness. Um, I, I control my diet. I do 16-8 fasting. So I don't eat usually before one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, because it's better for your body that way. It gives you it gives your cells time to regenerate and that sort of thing. So those are those are basic. Also, obviously, try and eat healthy. But I mean, I love I love chocolate, especially Nutella. So it's not easy. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, really, really powerful stuff there. I can definitely, um, yeah, link to a few of those things there. Like I, I do the the fasting as well, the sixteen eights. I don't need. Oh, really? Good. You're good. That's good. It works well, doesn't it? It does work well. And like the first few days, everybody's like, "What do you mean I can't eat breakfast?" Well, after like your body, you know, want to probably eat in the first few days, but after you sort of get over that, um, then you're like, "Oh, I'm actually really clear." Like I find. You, you know, you're more focused. You've almost, yeah, being able to focus more is when you have that lunch and you probably have something somewhat of a lighter lunch, I'm assuming as well, because if you eat too much, you can sort of feel the difference, right? Compared to later. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to, don't want to overburden your, your stomach. Look, I, I still enjoy food too much at times, but but all the time. I, I have a I have a body mass index of 22 and I, and I work to stay with that. Some of them might go a kilo over, but that's, that's where I aim to be and I want to stay there. The other thing that's very important to... Ethan, it's not just your body, it's also your mind. You've got to be mentally active. Now, I love reading and I love talking books. So I'll probably read or listen to a couple of books a week and all kinds of subjects. It could be biography or history. A lot of it's about health and diet. Also love about psychology, economics, all kinds of things. Business, a lot of business books. Um, books like um, Atomic Habits or From Strength to Strength. Uh, seven habits of highly effective people those kinds of books or books about the internet and the way it works i love constant constant ideas coming in all the time new ideas new way of thinking look i'm i'm 70 turn 71 next month um so <laughs> i i feel fantastic i feel unbelievably good my mind is bursting with new ideas all the time i'm full of physical energy i'm enjoying life enormously it's so much fun and my mood is fantastic it's it's there's a science to happiness. There's a science to health. And there's a wonderful study. I don't know if you heard about it. It's an eight-decade study done with, started with Harvard students in the 1930s. Just finished reading a book about that. And they looked at the factors that um, help people to be happy and healthy in old age. And it's, it's fairly clear what they are. Exercise, very much so. Hitting a proper weight. Not smoking. Not drinking beyond a very small amount. Um, very modest amount. Um, having a very good um, coping style with with problems, being very optimistic, being able to cope well with downturns, seeing, seeing the good side of things, um, having an active mind, which is the reading and the and the and the risking and stuff, and most of all, good personal relationships, close personal relationships. That's the biggest thing of all. So you look at those seven factors. That's a that's a that's a template for a happy life. And there's other principles too. One of the one of the greatest um, sayings I've ever come across. I only came across it just a couple of weeks back. It's social comparison is the thief of joy. If you compare yourself with other people in any way, you're making yourself miserable. And that applies in different areas. It applies to things like Facebook, which I don't do much in Facebook. It's done for me because I don't like social media because it's a comparison thing. It's also to do with what you spend your money on. Like until recently, I had my, my car was $10,000 value. And I'm a, you know, fairly well off, as you can probably imagine. But I don't. I dress in very ordinary clothes. I don't have luxurious tastes. I, I hate the idea of comparing myself with anybody else. 
And there's people that are richer than me. So what? That's not my business. I'm here to do the work that God sent me to do, to use my talents in the best way that I can. That's what matters to me, not, not how I compare with anybody else. Yeah. But those principles, that principle of, of avoiding social comparison, just doing what you believe is important and using your money in a way that's meaningful, like my research project, that is, that is also a path to joy. Yeah, I love that. So much gold there. And, um, you know, it remind me of a couple of things. I interviewed um, George Ross, who was Donald Trump's right-hand man for over 50 years, right, before he was president and did all his deals. And he's 95 now. And he's still switched on, like, so many ideas, advises people. So, you know, it shows you do all these things, like you're mentioning, that you're currently doing. You can go to 100 plus, right? It's it's a different world these days. And and I love the, the I call it, like, mind-feeding element, right? Of You know, the, the books and things like that. And um, I find, depending on your learning style, like, I have a lot of physical books, but I actually like audio books now because um, yes. I can do it sort of in my morning routine or on the go, you know, if I'm driving somewhere and then yeah. still can, you know, feed the mind in different ways. It's double, it's double use, isn't it? You're actually running or exercising and you're listening at the same time. You're exercising mind and body at the same time. It's actually a surprising amount of time in the week that can be taken up. In driving, I drive my son to school and pick him up most days. And that's a great time. I spend like 20, 25 minutes talking with my son. He's a great conversationalist. He's 13 years old, but he's wonderful to talk to. But then when I'm driving back or the other way, I'm listening. So it's 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 not wasted. Yeah, I love that. It's using that time that we have, right, to connect with the relationships, like you mentioned in that other point, or like to, you know, to feed your mind in different areas. You know, for me, a big one is um, I, I like to walk down to the park and, and go for a walk. And I and I don't care what other people think of me. I'm like, you know, in my shirt and whatever it is, but I have some shorts and normally thongs on and I take my thongs off um, and I walk on the grass barefoot. And there's probably potentially people there that go, what is this guy doing? But I literally don't care because I know <clears throat> that... I'm going to rejuvenate myself because I've, you know, got a lot of things going on. I need to just reset my mind and ground, you know, with, with my, my bare feet and just do a bit of breathing, um, you know, to just regulate myself. And even just a few minutes of that, obviously there's a bit more of a walk and stuff, but that is, is really powerful for me. Um, to yeah, we have a lot in common, Ethan, actually on my farm, I tend to go bare feet. I don't wear any more clothes than I need to. Um, even even in, in, in the cold weather, it's just being in contact with nature is great. That's another thing too, is contact with nature is great. It's, it's good for your mood, even apart from the exercise, if you're in mood in a natural environment, it's well known. That's why we look at professions actually, and two of the happiest professions are gardeners and florists, because you're in touch with the natural world. And by one of the least happy is, is, law, is, is a legal profession, lawyers. It's, it's not, doesn't fit with the status thing much either. But the, the, the science, happiness and health is, is a science. It's clear what you need to do. That's right. It's being able to tap into it. I love that. Really powerful. And um, yeah, love all this stuff. That's still a little bit more in the mindset stuff because I'm big on mindset. Like I'm an NLP master practitioner. I've learned, I love mindset in general because I think... Oh, what did you say? You're a master practitioner of what? Uh, NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Have you heard of NLP before? I've heard about it. I'm not sure I saw exactly what it is. Yeah, it, it's just basically, it's a bit of a framework of how we work as humans. It's like, like I know I know a big, you know, various NLP trainers, but it's almost like a, an encyclopedia or, or a framework of the mind, right? It's really understanding how we work as humans and then how then we can improve ourselves because maybe there's some deep emotions or some beliefs that are holding us back, right? To then be able to change what they are so we can move forward. And, you know, I find with my clients, I can teach you, know, you probably see this with your franchisees when you're trainees, you can teach the same thing to their different people, but you get 10 different results. And a lot of the time it's because of their mindset. And it might be just one thing or a few things you need to unlock 
to then get them to move forward. So I'd love to know, yeah, that mindset side of things when you're dealing with the people in your business, whether it's your team or, or, or the franchisees about, is there some element there of, you know, what they have to believe, you know, that this is possible for them or whatever it is like that. Look, what we try and teach is a growth mindset. And, and that's hugely important in life to success is whether you see yourself as having fixed abilities or whether you see you, that you can remake yourself. And that has a massive impact on, on, on what you do. So we find that the, the best franchisees in general are people who are relatively humble and always looking at ways to change, to improve. How can I do this better? That's something I do all the time, every day of my life, every day. I'm in Christmas day, Easter day, every day. I ask myself the question, how can we do this better? How can I improve? How can I relate to people better? What ideas, what systems, what processes, what can I do? Always, always looking at that. The people who tend to fail are the ones that say, what I do is good. And to change that, to, to change that is like an attack on my self-worth. So if something goes wrong with the customer, it's the customer's fault, or it's the, it's the system's fault, or it's my franchisor's fault, or it's Jim's fault, and they don't change. So somebody can be a lot less capable, but they have that growth mindset. How can I change? How can I be better? How, how they can be so much more powerful, so much more successful. I think humility is a, is a, a virtue that's not talked about much in business terms, but I really, I really believe in the value of that. The ability of somebody to actually say, accept that I've made a mistake and I need to change, to listen to criticism, to listen to advice. Now, I don't always agree with everybody who criticizes me, but I have to listen and I have to take it. And, and sometimes they're right. In fact, a lot of the time they're right. And then I have to understand, OK, I made a mistake. I didn't do this quite so well. You can't have your you can't have your ego and identity bound up with the idea that I can't be wrong. Yeah, I love that. So powerful. And you're right. There's a lot of egos out there. And um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's having that student mind uh, the way I like to think of it as well, where it's not like I know everything because then you're going to shut yourself off. It's like this feedback, whether it's positive or negative or what someone's telling me, there's room for it, right? To, to have that curiosity, that student mind, and then go, okay, maybe there is a different way of doing this um, and, and doing that. If you can't come up with it yourself, then maybe it's from others that they can put you on a, on a better path. And yeah, I'd love to know, you know, you mentioned there about like, how can I do this better? I love that mindset of yours and, and how you improve. And, you know, we talked obviously before you had a lot of time over this Easter weekend that we're recording this um, to think about stuff, but it's every day that you can do this, which I love um, at the same time. Is there any sort of specific thing that you, you do? Because some people might be like, oh, I'm so busy or, you know, whatever like that. I don't have the time to, you know, spend time on that, ironically, on, on doing the stuff that improves myself. So is there any sort of, practices or time of the day or something that you do to make sure that you know you invest x amount of time or whatever it is on thinking of these things and then i guess yeah putting it into action after well <laughs> the thing is Ethan, i have one extraordinary advantage over most people in business that i am absolutely totally incompetent at almost everything <laughs> I mean, whether you come to figures or whether you come to dealing with people or whether you come to management or you you name it, IT, anything. There are people out there who are much, much better than me. So there's very, very little that I do that somebody else can't do better. So basically, I let them. And I focus on the very few things that I do well. One of them is communication. I'm very good at conveying the ideas 
of what we believe in. And it, my ways of thinking about things as a service is, is very widespread through Jim's group, very, very widespread. That's the thing I'm probably most proud of, even more than numbers of franchisees. But most people in gyms, especially franchisors, have that servant mentality that franchisees really matter. We really care about franchisees. That's the crucial thing. Um, and the other thing I'm good at is ideas. I'm always coming up with new and different ideas. I've just got a blizzard of ideas coming out of my mind. I'm reading, I'm thinking, I'm listening to, I'm always, I'm talking to people like yourself. I'm just always learning and coming up with ideas. And then I say, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? And, and sometimes these ideas, often they're pretty crappy and sometimes they're actually quite good. So there's the only two things I'm really particularly good at. So having said that, I've got plenty of time. I'm not actually all that busy. But one of the things I do do, though, I'm very open to outside influence. So if somebody emails me, I actually clear my ebox several times a day. I just go through and there's a lot of garbage, but there's also some really good stuff. So a franchisee needs help. I'm on them really fast. And sometimes it matters a lot. And not only does it matter to them, but I can pick up problems with the business that why is this happening? And we change contracts and we change systems and we put new things through and we, we change software. We do things because I'm always finding out issues. And then people come to me with ideas or ventures. You know, there was somebody um, yesterday just contacted me who was interested in, uh, he wanted to get one of my biohistory books. And so I had a bit of a back and forth. I said, oh, come and have dinner. So we're going to actually my local um, Italian restaurant tonight to have dinner because he sounds like an interesting guy. So who knows what's going to come of it? But I just like to be in contact with people. Yeah, I love that. Really powerful. Thanks for sharing um, the way that you do things. And hey, let's talk about history because you touched on it earlier. I've had a young age, um, you know, Greek history. I know before this as well, we had a quick chat because I'm Greek background as well myself. So I'm very big with my mum being a Greek teacher on learning about Greek history and even mythology and things like that. So um, yeah, share a little bit about how, you know, what you enjoy about it. How has that, you know, shaped you, your curiosity around uh, how you look at life now? Look, as I said, Nathan, it started with me trying to understand the reasons for a decline. How can a civilization, how can a culture as brilliant as that of 5th, early 4th century Athens descend into such feebleness? They were such an amazing people, very, very brutal at times, but they were extraordinary people. And I tried to understand that and to understand why civilization has declined, why people rise to greatness, why the Industrial Revolution took place, why wars take place. Now, Historians would tend to talk in terms of economic forces and political forces and, and, and intellectual forces and, and abstract stuff. I believe it all comes down to character, that, that a civilization is defined by the character of the people. If you have the kind of people that only accept really brutal authority, you're going to have a very brutal autocracy because that's the nature of it. There are people who believe in the rule of law. And, and, and a law abiding and believe in institutions and so forth, you're going to have a more stable democracy. And, in, and so that's the fundamental idea. And then you've got to look at why things like why solutions do rise. Now, one of the most interesting things which people don't comment on, but it's really significant, is the age of puberty. I'll just use this as an example. Now, back in the middle 19th century, just under 200 years ago, the average age of puberty in Northern Europe was like in England was about 15 and a half. This is for women, that is. In Scandinavia, 17. Okay, it's dropped drastically over the past century and a half. People would always say better nutrition. But here's something very interesting. In the 14th century, the age of puberty was about the same as it is now. So what you've got is a rise, a delayed puberty in the 19th century and a drop ever since then. Now, 
people know this, but nobody's ever thought, what does it mean? Now, what I came to the conclusion of, what actually happened is that bodies, mammals in particular, have a way of responding to food restriction. And they actually change in a way, like the age of puberty is delayed, they become more good at, at, at routine work, like um, exploring their, their territory and so forth. There's a number of changes that become better parents, more assiduous parents, a whole lot of changes take place. And I believe what happened up to the 19th century, there was a change in character, which was biologically associated with food restriction. Now, it wasn't actually food restriction that did it, it was things to do with the way sexual behavior was controlled and so forth. So understanding the change in society as a change in character, and then understanding that in terms of the underlying biology, which we share with animals. So all the experimental work we're doing at the moment is with rats. And rats is basically mostly to do with the limbic system, and rats and humans are virtually the same when it comes to the limbic system. That's the sort of um, middle cortex, the, the, the hypothalamus, the um, amygdala, those kinds of areas. So we're trying to understand that. And obviously what's become clear in recent years is that there's the, the food restriction and other things like that have an effect on epigenetics. They actually change the way the genes function. Now, the interesting thing about that is if you understand the process and you could work out a way to manipulate the genes, to turn them on or off, you could do all kinds of things. Curing drug addiction would be, would be simple like that. You just change the personality characteristics with, with if the people wanted that to one where they think more long-term instead of short-term. And they naturally would tend to do things like study, work hard, get off drugs, get off alcohol, um, have a more stable marriage, all the things that would actually help them to prosper in society. So if you understood these things and you could change it, then you could, you could change the world in a dramatic sense. You could turn the poorest country in earth into a advanced, prosperous democracy within a generation or two. You could cure poverty, you could cure addiction. It would be extraordinary. That's the, that's the potential for this kind of understanding, which is why it is and always has been the major, major driving force of my whole life. And the whole reason that I went into business was to fund my research. Yeah, I love it. That's really powerful. And one thing that comes to mind that I've researched, that's a little bit controversial topic, but I'm sure you'll, you'll have some um, you know, intake on it, is around these alternative ways of treating you know these things like you know depression anxiety and stuff and, and the use of psychedelics right in this you know with with mushrooms and ketamine where people are you know for example i've read about these studies and like even one thing one session of this has completely changed the way that they look at their addiction and you know their, their bounce back and stuff like that so I'd like to know your thoughts if you've researched a bit about this stuff and and what some of these alternative treatments you know could, could provide um, I'm fairly skeptical about medical treatments of any kind, I have to say. Um, recent study found that um, only about 15% of people taking antidepressants are getting any real effect as opposed to placebo. I, I don't think most treatments actually work particularly much better than simply having a, 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 a kind, listening, friendly ear, because we do know that social contact is a huge force behind um, happiness, improving mood. So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical about that. Look, what I believe in is, is um, the body, the, the brain works on a sort of homeostasis basis. Now, what happens, for example, when you take, a, have a drink of alcohol or you take a, a heroin or something like that, what happens is it gives a surge of dopamine to the brain. 
Now, the brain likes to bounce itself. So what it says, all this extra dopamine is coming in. We don't want to be permanently happy because it doesn't work for survival. So what we're going to do is like depress the basic level of dopamine in the brain. So in other words, it dampens down the, the um, receptors. So what that actually happens is that you, you surge the dopamine in the brain. The body, the brain gets it down to try and balance it out. So what you then need is you need dopamine to keep on coming in just to just to balance this and you feel worse and worse and worse and all dopamine kind of factors work the same way whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs or psychedelics or anything it's all dopamine even tea and coffee to a very mild extent certainly food uh, sweet drinks all those things are actually dopamine surges uh, sex um, but the sex has great bonding things that's an the other side to it but but sort of random sex has is is a, is a dopamine boost so by having dopamine surges all the time you actually you actually depress your basic function so that you're less happy now the key to this is first of all to get off these dopamine surges but then you do things which actually has the opposite effect now, a good example is vigorous exercise cold exposure cold showers and so forth fasting these kinds of traditional practices which have been trialed through civilizations for, for centuries, not just in the West, but also in the East and so forth, they have the opposite effect because they actually, in a sense, depress your dopamine. Your body functions by raising the overall level. So the long-term result of drug addiction, alcohol, is to depress your overall mood. If you do the opposite, you use these dopamine depressing kind of things, so-called, then you raise your mood and you create happiness and stability and, and good mental health. Now, that's, that's not all of it. But that's, there's a wonderful book called The, uh, the Dopamine, Dopamine Nation, which I've just finished reading, which, which explains all this kind of stuff too. Also to do with homeostasis and the way the brain works. It's not what people think. Yeah, that's that's powerful. I love that stuff there that you just said. That's a lot of gold. And um, yeah, hacking the body. It's like biohacking, basically, right? Understanding what it is and then how can we do that? And, you know, we already talked a lot about, you know, the fasting and the exercising today, but I, I do cold showers. I, um, you know, at the end of my shower, I, I do it for very good for the parasympathetic nervous system. And yes, exactly. It's, it's well known too. You look at something like um, uh, Scouting for Boys by Baden Powell, which I used to love when I was a kid too. It talks about all these things. It's, it's not, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. It's just people have this feeling, oh, all I have to do is to have lots of food and comfort and stuff, and I'll be happy. No, the level of anxiety keeps on rising. You've got to actually break from all that. You've got to look at the long-term benefits and things like exercise. It's the best-known mood lifter there is. But also, your cold showers, your fasting, all those kind of things, too. It seems like people would think it makes you more miserable, but it doesn't. It creates happiness. One of the things that I... Kind of gradually come to realize in recent years is i'm a, such a happy man i really am now a lot of it i've got a wonderful wife i really adore my wife 22 years married and she's she's amazing we fight all the time he's <laughs> all the time but i absolutely adore her and, and she loves me too most of the time but <laughs> apart from that most of it's just science it's looking at, 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 at happiness is is is, is a, it's a happiness healthy it's it's a it's it's a system and you can achieve it. I don't believe in medicating these things. I really don't. Now, maybe there's a role if somebody's in a severe psychotic breakdown for having something like lithium. I don't know. But in general, it's not the way to happiness or health. Yeah, I love that. Really powerful. And congrats for long-term marriage. I'm only a year in, but I'm, I'm, you know, good times. I've 
got a, got a side story. Um, I, won't, I won't go into it now, but basically I went to a group meditation event and asked for my perfect woman. I was single for 10 years and literally manifested it instantly on the spot at that event. Um, oh, really? At that yes. event? It's about a 10 minute story, but it was, uh, it was a very powerful situation where, you know, having intentions, right? I think if we talk a bit deeper about quantum physics now, right, is, is having the intention that you put out there to be able to attract that what it is and, um, you know, realize that I was making all these excuses and then said, well, what do I actually want? And went asked for 30 to 50 things and literally got it then instantly as I talked to her and only told her that story about three months later because I didn't want to scare her away um, first. But um, then, um, yeah, been been very happy. And, and I think... I think that there always is some tension as well in a relationship, what I've understood, because that's what attracts you, right? Because you're opposites to some extent. So the arguing or whatever is actually normal. It's, it's, it's never going to be perfect because that, that also helps with the attraction, right? Um, you know, well, if you're a certain kind of person, we, we had we had lunch with, <laughs> dinner with my, my senior pastor and his wife the other night. We were talking about it. They don't argue at all. They've got a wonderful marriage, but they're just both reasonable, nice people. I don't think Leah and I, <laughs> well, she's nice, but she's not reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> nor am i <laughs> that's it um love love comfort, yeah. each other. it's like a key to a lock we're just very unusual people we just happen to click very well look to give you an idea i have i was divorced three times so I've, i'm a lousy i'm a lousy person at being married but i just i've just hit the jackpot nice well yeah we all learn lessons i think through life right and um you know working out better and i learned it through all my friends i, I was single for 10 years and i was like you know, and I analyzed all my friends and, and family members. And I looked at what are all the things that I don't want? That was the key thing. Cause I, I could see all the issues. I'm like, okay. It was like, I was building up this, you know, bank of stuff of what I didn't want. And I said, well, what's the opposite of that? What do I actually want? Um, and, and crafting that being intentional from the start of the relationship, a lot of people go into things. They don't really think about the long term, right? They just sort of fall into stuff. And then, um, you know, they haven't really being intentional. It's like a business. It's, relationships the same, right? You want to have the right strategy, right? So you, you can be successful. Relationships, business um, in there. And I think a lot of people just go into things thinking, oh, it's going to work out without really being, you know, specific enough about it to to make sure that it, that it works and being able to improve because on both yep. levels as well, because it's not going to be. The idea that you just fall in love and that's all you need to do is just stupid. That's just Hollywood garbage. It's a constant effort and work. And, and look, even in the last month, I've learned a huge amount about how to relate to, to my wife better. You know, certain things that I didn't understand. Like, for example, if she's very upset and with me, which she often is, the best thing is to go on a date and have an argument. <laughs> so we, we did that last night. We went on the date, had a big argument. And then we and then we ended up having passionate, you know, romance and everything else. It was it was amazing. So just talk about the issues and bring them out in the open that just works for us probably doesn't work for anybody else but it works for us so you've got to understand these things yeah i love that definitely communication is a big one um where i think some women generally or because we converse differently there might be like signals or signs or things like that but i was we're always from the start you got to tell me i don't i can't read your mind necessarily all the time and the more we talk about it the more we understand about each other and we've got different you know there's the love languages thing as well which you may have heard of five love languages so the way you know, we each want love can be different too, where my wife is physical touch. So I've got to make sure that I'm cuddling her and, you know, things like that. Whereas I'm more words of affirmation, right? So she needs to be telling me, Ethan, well done on this or whatever. That's the way I, I get love the most. So it's really, you know, understanding their representational systems. In NLP, we learn, you know, are they a visual person, an auditory person, a kinesthetic person, audio digital? So how using their language, how do we then 
use the same thing. It's like, oh, I see this is a, a problem. We'll make sure we're using visual language because that is a visual word to really connect on their level. Um, and that's generally in business or like, you know, personal relationships, just generally with people. When you understand these different elements, this is how you can really, you know, connect on a deeper level and really, yeah, have a great relationship in whatever context that is. Mm. Yeah, really powerful. Um, interesting stuff. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's been very powerful, powerful session today, Jim. It's been uh, so, so wide. And I loved, um, I loved all these conversations from all the business stuff, of course, to then, you know, health, fitness and, and history. And and then, yeah, the, the different dips of uh, relationships and, and how we relate to each other, which has been really, really powerful. And I guess as we're um, wrapping up today, what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs uh, watching and listening today? Just keep on looking at what you do every day and just try to do it better. Always improve. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what natural ability. People are too much focused on things like intelligence. Best estimates, intelligence probably is about 4% of what makes people successful. The other 96% is character. And if you simply, it doesn't matter how pathetically bad you are, if you keep on looking at what you're doing and say, how can I improve? How can I do it better? In the end, you can become surprisingly good. And you use me as a perfect example. I, I never thought I'd be good at business. And I still got so much to learn, but I'm never, ever going to stop learning. Yeah, I love that. Completely agree. So powerful there, everyone. And uh, yeah, we connected through our networks. Where I learned about your you know, awesome journey from launching you know, your full-time mowing business in 1982 with $24 investment and now running Jim's group with now has, you know, almost 5,000 franchisees. Uh, you're, you're an awesome guy, so knowledgeable in your business as well as so many different areas of life. Um, it's been a real pleasure to really connect and, and, and talk about these things because there's been so much value and I'm sure you're going to continue to help uh, yeah, people build successful lifestyle businesses. You know, very grateful that we connect and uh, look forward to working with you. So Jim, how can people find you get in contact with you? Uh, the website www.jims.net or you can email me direct jim at jims.net if you've got any ideas or anything at all just contact me i'll, yeah. I'll reply or I'll, I'll i'll read it what i do about it's another matter of course but I'm, I'm easy to contact beautiful definitely check out the website and, and reach out to jim um yeah if you've got anything uh, any ideas or wanting to um maybe any comments right on on the show today and um you know it's been powerful and and thank you everyone for watching listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth and please like subscribe and leave us a five-star review you can find me on linkedin facebook instagram and youtube is ethan cassiotis or visit my website ethancassiotis.com and if you want to grow and scale your business you can reach out to me in any platform to see if we're a good fit and i completely agree with you or do i the only way we know is if you tune in next time so until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.